Well, I'm excited today to to open a new series. Before I do that, though, I want to remind those of you who might have slipped in after the announcements this morning that next week is Time Change Sunday. So make sure next Saturday night you turn your clocks forward one hour and do it early enough that you're not too tired to get up in the morning to come to church, okay? So Time Change Sunday next week. As I said, I'm going to start a new series today, and I'm really excited to share it with you because God has shared something with me that after 40 years of ministry and reading the Bible over and over and over again, he's given me a new insight that I never saw before, which is so exciting to all of us because it just shows that you cannot exhaust the Bible. You cannot exhaust reading God's Word. There is always something new there that the Lord can bring to your attention. He did innocuously from the book of Matthew, beginning chapter 13, in the first three verses, as I was reading the Bible one day, the Lord began to speak to me. In that passage, it says, the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. Now, that final phrase would seem very innocuous. You would read that, as I did many, many, many times, and just kind of went right on by it. But in reality, with those words, a major transition is occurring in the ministry of Jesus. Big switch. Major transition. Up until this time, Jesus is on a roll as he launches his earthly ministry. That lasts about three years. Probably started when he's about 30 years old, and he probably went to the cross at about 33 years old. He's on a roll. For example, in Matthew 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He's doing all this healing. It goes on to say, news about him spread all over Syria, And the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So people by the thousands are coming to Jesus for the healing power that he's manifesting. Matthew 4, verse 25 says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across Jordan followed him. Now, this Decapolis, that was a a, a series of 10 cities that were east in Israel, east of the Sea of Galilee, that were kind of the outstretches of Greek and Roman culture in the Roman Empire at that time. So Jesus was not only appealing to Jewish people, he was appealing to Gentile people. They were flocking to him. And after hearing their teaching, like in Matthew chapter 7, it said the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching like someone who really had authority from heaven and not just like the teachers of the law and the preachers of that day. So Jesus was a superstar. He had achieved superstar status. People by the thousands. In that that verse we looked at just a moment ago, there was such a big crowd when he came out of the house that he had to get in a boat and row offshore so that he could speak and teach to all those different people. But now, all of a sudden, Scripture says he began teaching them using parables. Now, parables 
are thought to be human stories with a heavenly interpretation or application. Parables use simple life things to apply profound spiritual truths. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts using parables. Up in this time, he didn't. Up in this time, he's very open about what he's teaching. And he's teaching about many different life topics and many different eternal topics. And, and of course, we see over and over again that he's performing miracle after miracle after miracle. So much that fame, his fame has spread all through the Middle East and people are coming to witness this great teacher. But all of a sudden, he changes tactics completely. And he starts using these stories. Now, we see this shift in the response of his disciples, who in Matthew 13, 10 says, the disciples came to him and said, what are you doing? Why are you speaking to the people in parables? They immediately catch it. Something, this has never happened before. And in Jesus' response with this, verse 11, Matthew 13, he replied to him, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Profound statement. He said, the knowledge of the secrets about the kingdom of heaven, I'm giving to you, but I'm not giving it to them. Now, why would Jesus withhold the secrets of the kingdom of heaven from the people. Why would he do that? Well, as we examine this passage a little deeper, we find the explanation. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered and they had to get in a boat and row offshore. Now again, at face value, we, we might just blow right past that and go, okay, yeah, he came out of the house. But when I looked at that phrase, the Holy Spirit brought something and said, that same day. And so I said, all right, so why does the scripture emphasize the same day? And it got my mind thinking, what else happened that day? In order to understand what else happened that day, you have to go back to Matthew chapter 12. Let's see what happened that day. That would cause Jesus to execute such a major transition in his teaching the people that would keep him withholding the secrets about heaven to them. Back in chapter 12, the day is the Sabbath day. It is a Saturday. And all the Mosaic laws of the Sabbath take place on this day. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. They're tired. They've been doing the work of the Lord. Remember, there's thousands of people following them all over the place, and they're, they're, they're pressing on them, and, and they want all this, and they're bringing their, their, their sick people to them, and all, all this attention is, and they're exhausted, and they haven't had any time to eat. So they're walking through a field, a grain field, and they're starved. And so the disciples start doing what we do. They start picking off some of the grain and eating it, trying to get something in their bellies. But Scripture says, Matthew 12, 2, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, if you're new to Scripture, 
were the elite religious people of the Jewish population. These were the people who lived out the Mosaic law with more passion and and more minutiae than anybody else. These, These were the people all the Jewish people looked up to as the religious leaders in Israel. And they saw the disciples, and they said, Jesus, would you just look at your followers, your disciples? They're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. They're harvesting. They're picking food. They didn't care about it. They were starved. They were hungry. They had been doing God's work. And Jesus said, come on, guys. His response is, which one of you who had a sheep who walked away from your fold and fell into a, a crevice wouldn't reach out and pull that sheep out on the Sabbath day? He says, and think about this, whenever the priests go in on the Sabbath day to offer the sacrifices, and they're working, they're violating the Sabbath law too. So he says, get over it. Well, it says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, went into their church, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, again, the religious leaders asked him, so, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Remember, Jesus' fame for healing people is well established by this point. And so Jesus walks into their church on the Sabbath. He's going to church. He's doing the right thing. When he goes to the church, he sees this unfortunate man who has a shriveled up hand. He has no use of it. And Jesus looks at him, and the religious leaders look at Jesus, and they know what he's thinking. They know what he's about to do. And so they say, so tell us, Jesus, tell us, Master, tell us, Teacher, Is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath day? And Jesus goes again. He goes, come on, guys. And so it says, it goes on. It says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other hand. Jesus gives this guy something that only he could have given him. Only God could have given him. But look what happens. But the Pharisees went out. They went out to the the lobby of the church. They went out, and they got together, and they started plotting how they could kill Jesus. Imagine that. They wanted to kill him. Well, Matthew 12, 15 says, aware of this. Jesus was aware of what they were up to. Jesus withdrew from that place. He leaves the synagogue. He leaves the church. And when he left, all kinds of people got up and followed him. And he began to heal them again. They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And said all the people were astonished by this demon-possessed man who was blind and he was mute. And Jesus was able to heal him. And they asked this. They said, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the the redeemer of Israel, the rescuer, the the great king, could this be the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? But then right after they start talking about that, then the religious leaders come in again, and they say this in Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. They said, listen, don't you people get fooled by this, this charlatan, this, this, this fake. He said, it's only 
Because he's possessed himself by Beelzebub, which is another name for the devil, for Satan. He says, he's a demon. He's satanic. Don't you follow him. The only reason he's able to cast out demons is because he's a demon himself. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, if you're so great, show us some miraculous sign." Now, does anybody else get the irony of that question? He's, he's a superstar because he's been performing all kinds of miracles. He's been giving sight to the blind. He's giving hearing to the deaf. He's giving speech to the mute. He's restoring withered hands and withered legs. He's helping the paralyzed to walk for the first time in their life. What are they looking for? He's already brought the dead back to life. Show us something that we might believe that you really are from God. Jesus says then, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus is now forecasting his own resurrection. And he says, you are evil-minded, you are evil-hearted, you refuse to believe. And he said, I'm not giving you no miraculous sign. Because your heart is evil. He says, only one sign. That's the prophet Jonah. Remember, Jonah was the Old Testament prophet who was swallowed by the great fish and remained in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. And then the fish vomited him up on the shores of Nineveh where God had sent Jonah to go preach. Jesus was talking about his resurrection three days after his crucifixion. Well, Jesus was still talking, verse 46, Matthew 12. This is all on the same day. Talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. And so someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. Now, with all this rejection, now all of a sudden, his mom and his siblings are outside. And they're saying, go tell him to come out here. We want to talk to him. Now, I'm not sure what happened here. But what is strongly implied is that either... They heard that Jesus was making a commotion and all this stuff was going on with these religious leaders and they decided they better get down there and pull him out and tell him, Jesus, you need to dial it back a little bit here. You're going a little too far. Or what I think is even more probable, somebody who had been witnessing all this went to them and said, you better get down there and shut your son up. He's going too far. He's stepping over the line. He's going to get himself and his disciples hurt real bad. And for whatever reason now, they try to silence Jesus by saying, your mom's outside. She wants to talk to you. Your brothers are outside. They want to have a word with you, Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, he who obeys the word of my father is my mother and my brother. Now, all this has happened on that one day. And so Jesus, in response to all this, says to his disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is given to you, but not to them. Now, understand, Jesus isn't having some kind of an emotional meltdown because he's had such a bad day. Jesus isn't responding out of human emotion, human anger. 
Because scripture clearly tells us before Matthew 13, when all of this happens, earlier on in his ministry, Jesus is already seeing a trend of all these people following him. In Matthew 11, 20, it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Why? Because they didn't repent. Jesus already started denouncing all these places. He had done all these miracles. Why? Because even though he was doing miracles, even though he was demonstrating his divine power and authority, People were not making a spiritual application to it. It wasn't doing anything good in the spiritual lives, minds, and hearts of the people. So he started renouncing all those cities. They don't really care about the things of God. Soon thereafter, he's going to end the first part of his ministry. And it's recorded in Matthew 16, verses 13 and 14. When he finishes this first important part of his ministry, he gathers his disciples around him. And he asks, he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, all right, so who do people say I the son of man am? Who, what, what are people saying? Who do they think I am? And they respond, well, some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Remember, Herod had killed, beheaded John the Baptist. So, some think that you're, you're Elijah, that great prophet, come back to life. Some think you're Jeremiah, another Old Testament prophet who's come back to life. And others think you're, you're another prophet. In other words, they come back and they say, People think that you're a good religious teacher. But remember what Jesus does next? He says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And that's when the apostle Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, they weren't getting it. Why would Jesus withhold the secrets of the kingdom of heaven from the people Jesus tells us, Matthew 13, 13, this is why I speak in parables. He said, this is why I've, I've changed. His disciples come, what are you doing? What's going on now? He said, Here, here's what's going on. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. See, Jesus knew that the vast majority of these huge crowds of people who were following him around were actually just a bunch of thrill seekers. They were into the hype. They were into this new thing that was exciting and going on in Israel. They, they were all about getting some of their family members healed and their friends healed. And they wanted to see all these miracles. And, and it was just exciting. But Jesus knew that the vast majority of the people following him were not sincerely interested in the kingdom of heaven. They weren't interested in the life to come. They weren't interested in what he was telling them about how they should live lives, their lives in preparation for the life to come. They weren't interested about knowing what heaven was going to be about and knowing who God really was and knowing how they should be living their lives. They weren't interested in that. All they wanted was to be around the hype. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus' first parable is about. Look at it. First parable. Matthew 13, verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. 
It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. This is what Jesus was preaching to the people from the boat. This is the very first parable that Jesus ever teaches. And it's actually a running chronology of his ministry up to that time and how the people have responded to him. See, the seed in this parable represents the word of God. What Jesus was talking about, what Jesus was teaching about God, Jehovah, and things to come. And the ground that the seed falls on is talking about the attitude on the part of the people who heard, what they did with it, how they responded to it. And Jesus said, see, these secrets, what this parable means is given to you but not to them. Jesus knew this. Those who were committed to the kingdom of God would seek and find further understanding as to what the parables meant. In other words, those who really cared about God, those who really cared about the kingdom, those who really cared about the life to come, they wouldn't just hear the parable and go, what's he talking about? They'd they'd find out what he's talking about. They would do whatever they had to do to learn the truth of what Jesus was saying. The others, Jesus knew, would just reject his parables as unintelligible or unimportant. They'd just walk away. They had their thrill. They had what they came for. They didn't care enough to find out what he meant in those stories. Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 18 through 23, now his disciples, he's called them together. And he says this, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. In the vernacular, Jesus said, you want the inside scoop? Come here, I'm going to give you the inside scoop of what that parable's about. I'm going to give you the inside scoop of an aspect of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He says, here, here it is. And so Jesus says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed so along the path. See, the path in that day was trampled down by people, and it was hard, and the seed couldn't take root. And he said, he said this is... This is an analogous with people who hear the truth of God in our day, who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the minute they hear it, Satan comes roaring into their life in some way, in some form, and steals it from them. Tells them, you can't listen. That's a bunch of nonsense. You couldn't believe that. Why would you even give that your attention? And just steals it away. It never takes root. He goes on to say, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Jesus says, now now another person, they hear about the kingdom of God. They hear what I've been teaching people. And they receive it with joy. This is great. This is cool. I've never heard any. This guy teaches like no one we've ever heard teach before. And they get all excited about it. But see, because they really don't care about it enough to really saturate their hearts and minds and souls with it. 
It's just a new thrill. A new way to get excited about God. A new way to get excited with a bunch of people. But when God sends into their life the things that test, as we talked about in our last series, that test the quality of their faith, whether it be trials or persecution, then the reality of their non-allegiance to God, their non-interest in the things of God, presents itself and they just kind of walk away and you never see them again. And he says, the one, verse 22, Matthew 13, who receives the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Here's the man, here's the woman who hears the message of God, and they receive it also. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Oh, God, I want to be part of you, and I want you to be part of me. And they're sincere in that, but then what happens? Like Peter, getting out of the boat taking his eyes off Jesus and sinking into the sea. These people, they get all involved and they get excited about it, but they don't make it a priority in their life. And the things of life, money and the need to make money and the need to work a job and the need to create a stock portfolio and the need to have this and the need to have that and the need to be a member of this group and a member of that group and the need to have this title and this title and that title and all, all the things of this life are more important to them than the things of God and so although they receive the word all those things choke it out and therefore it's not fruitful for them It hasn't impacted them and their life in a way that will prepare them for eternity. That will prepare them to meet God. Finally, he says, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. Why does that man, why does that woman hear it and understand it? Because they seek understanding. They position themselves in a place where they can learn more, where they can understand it. They go to church. They join a life group. They get into a Bible study. They have personal devotions. All these things that week after week after week we talk about here at the bridge. They actually do it. And says, how does it result in their life? They produce a harvest A hundred times more than what they sow. Sixty times. And the ones who just dabble, thirty times the investment they put into the kingdom of God. Why? Because when we embrace the secrets of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it blesses us. God can use us in ways we can't imagine. God lifts us up. God encourages us. God blesses us with the things that we think we need in life. That's why Jesus said at another time, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other junk that you're chasing is going to be provided as you really need it. Nothing much has changed since Jesus' day. Not a lot. Those committed to the kingdom of God still seek and still find understanding. It's not that you can't. It's there. The question is, do you want it? Those uncommitted to the things of the kingdom of God still reject the teachings of Jesus as unintelligible or unimportant. 
Jesus says, Matthew 13, 15, for this people's heart has become calloused. Jesus says, these people's heart, they've become become calloused towards me, calloused towards the things of God. They hardly hear with their ears. It's not that they're not hearing, but they're not listening. They have what? Closed their eyes. That is willful action. They have made a decision that I'm going to close my eyes to the things of God. I'm going to pursue the things of the world. Jesus goes on to say, otherwise they might see with their eyes. It's not that they can't. God wants them to see. Jesus wants them to see. Otherwise, they might hear with their ears. Otherwise, they might understand with their hearts. And what? And what? Turn. And do something about it. And if they do, look what Jesus said. I would heal them. I will heal them, Jesus says today. Because the words of Jesus are as true for us here on March 5th, 2017, as they were for the people that heard Jesus speak these words from the boat 2,000 years ago. Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And he says, for I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus said, you want the inside scoop? People like Elijah and Moses and Joshua and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, they would have died. They would have given their ears to hear what I'm sharing with you. They'd have given their eyesight to see what you're seeing. Being demonstrated the awesome divine power of God that you're witnessing right now. But they never got to see it. You know, the same is true for us today. All those Old Testament great people, they would have loved to have been under the day of grace that we're under. And not under the rules and regulations and rituals of the Mosaic law. Not having to go to some priest with a, with a poor lamb, a, 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 a poor goat or a turtle dove and have that animal slain for some sin they had committed. Even knowing that that won't take care of the sin issue. It was just a shadow of what was to come that they hadn't seen yet. And that shadow that was to come was Jesus dying on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for all the sins of humanity. See, that's the day we live in. And all those people, they couldn't imagine what we now know and what God now offers us. How about you? How about you? Are you ready for the inside scoop? Do you care about the inside scoop? Do you really want to know the inside scoop about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? I didn't fully ever get it before. 
I knew Jesus spoke in parables, but I always thought they were just random, but they're not. As I've re-studied them, re-looked at them, they are all little stories that reveal yet another dimension of the kingdom of God. They're another little snapshot of a secret to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus fully wants us to have the inside scoop if our hearts hunger for it. Let's bow our heads. How about you? Do you hunger for the inside scoop? Do you hunger? Do you really want to know more about what God has for you? If you do, come back. Because that's what we're going to be talking about over the days to come, over the weeks to come. Maybe you're here today, and I need to share the most important inside scoop of all with you, and that's how you get to heaven in the first place. See, a lot of world religions trying to tell you how to get to heaven, how to get back to God. But Jesus came to tell us. Jesus came to give us the inside scoop on eternal life and eternal forgiveness of our sins. You want to hear the inside scoop? Jesus said it about himself in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the inside scoop. It's the only way. Jesus. There's no other way. You can't live a good enough life to get there. You're never going to live a good enough life to get there. You can't buy your way there. You, you couldn't possibly have that much money if you were the wealthiest person on planet Earth. You can't hook yourself up with a certain denomination. All you can do is what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 10.9 when he says, Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. That's it. That's the inside scoop. I know it sounds simple. You might say, it can't be that easy. Well, why is it that easy? Because it's a gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he what? Gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's the what? Gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, here's the inside scoop. You need to do it because it's the only way you'll go to heaven. It's the only way your sins can be forgiven. If you're here today and you've never done that, don't leave this campus in that condition. Come and see any one of us in these light blue shirts today that have the bridge on them. All the pastors of the church are wearing these shirts today. Come to any of us. We would love to get one-on-one with you and show you how you can know that eternal life will be yours. Or go out as you leave the, the church and go to the east patio. That would be to your right as you exit the church and there's the next step booth there. Go there and to the, the next step booth and someone there can, can walk you through what God's word says about how you can have eternal life. Look up at me at least. If neither one of those things you're ready to do, 
go by our guest services booth or one of our literature racks and pick up one of these little blue books that says, you can be sure. This little blue book will walk you through what God has revealed in the Bible about how you can know that your sins are forgiven and heaven will be your home. Right here, the inside scoop. It's right here. Do you care enough to find the answer? That's the key. I'm excited to share what I'm going to share with you. And I hope you'll be here every week that you can be here. I can't cover every single one of the parables, but I'm going to cover some that are really eye-openers and really do give us an additional insight to the things of the kingdom of God.